the world faith and uh, for, for, it was quite a encouragement and then last week we made an unplanned um, side trip to Woodcliffe Lake Church uh, where um, there were some relatives from Slovenia we hadn't met and a small church that definitely could use some encouragements so uh, we did that and we bring greetings from the Woodcliffe Lake Church and I'm sure you've already received the greetings from the many that were at camp so at this time if there are any other greetings or announcements for the church please feel free Paula, we have a translation. Thank you, and pl please uh, tell him he's heartily welcome and extend our love and greetings when he returns. We're thankful to have him here. <clears throat> oh, the Lord be with you, Sister Nora, and please extend our love and greetings wherever you go. Thank you for those greetings. Uh, greetings from my wife as well. They'll be coming home this week, Lord willing. Thank you for those greetings. Greetings from Elder Brother Jim Thank you. Thank you for those greetings from Elder Brother Jim Igich, California, Clovis. There's no uh, further greetings, um, uh, just a few announcements. Um, this is the last Sunday of the month, so we're uh, collecting for the Cheerful Giver project where we send um, needed supplies to refugees and those in, in need. So you can mark your uh, donations for the focus of the month, Cheerful Giver, if you want to contribute to that. So as the last of the month, this Wednesday, we'll be beginning the new month of August, and we'll set that aside for worshiping the Lord together and singing this coming Wednesday. Uh, a few announcements. Um, there's been a cookbook that's been put together of freezer-friendly recipes. It's a fundraiser for our brothers in Ukraine. Um, the cost is $20 or a donation. And so uh, please see the flyer on the bulletin board downstairs or contact Sister Margaret for more information. Um, as the first of the month, then uh, next Sunday will be the first Sunday of the month and the area sing will be in Richmond Hill. So it'll be closer to us. So area sing in Richmond Hill next Sunday. On the back table, you'll find a few cards that we like to sign for those who are sick and in need of encouragement, and also some bookmarks that have been sent out to remind us of the upcoming Sing in Northport, Florida. And downstairs on the table, there's also uh, uh, we've the, the choristers, our, our Christian choristers have uh, are trying to get rid of their thousands of CDs that are no longer in demand. So if you have a CD player and you enjoy uh, uh, gospel singing, they're, they're free for the taking. We have uh, a number of CDs there from the choristers, complete sets of all that they've done through the years. Uh, and uh, just a reminder that we're looking forward to uh, Sister Agnes and Harry have opened up their home on August 12th and are inviting the entire church there. Uh, so keep that in your calendar and uh, I think we were notified this morning I hope uh, I want to just confirm that I think Moses Sabo many of you know him from years past he, from the Edmonton Church uh, passed away just recently so that's all the announcements I have uh, let's turn to the Lord in prayer Almighty God we have nowhere else to turn to have that living water that flows and turns 
brings to life out of barren ground. And we just pray that that life-giving flow of your spirit, of your word, could flow this morning and could bring new life and produce a wellspring of life in each one of us as we go from this place. And this is a miracle of your power. And so we pray that human frailty would not be in the way for you to work freely in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn together uh, to the first epistle to Peter. First Peter, the fourth chapter. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead, that is the living and the dead, for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging, and every man, as, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I've read into the 11th verse. Let's kneel for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee that we have this opportunity now to kneel before Thee, to proclaim Thy greatness, to worship Thee. We're so thankful that the words of the Apostle Peter have been preserved for us through these now thousands of years that we can also receive instruction and encouragement from them. We're thankful that the God we serve is, is a God who is concerned for the issues of our daily life and that the instruction that we receive from thy word is so intensely practical. Help us to not 
put these instructions into the realm of the theoretical, to, to push them off, to think they're for something else or someone else, but help us to carry thy word into our daily lives, that we may remind ourselves with the things that we've read together, that we may indeed remember that when we suffer, it's for the purifying of our flesh, that when there is adversity, it is to draw us closer to thee, and that when times are good, it is an opportunity for hospitality and for uh, a richening of the, of the brotherhood through the sharing of what thou hast given to us in the first place. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for uh, the experiences that we made at camp, those of us that were able to attend, and we're thankful that we could see that some of these things uh, in action in the context of the larger brotherhood. And now, Heavenly Father, as we have returned to our home churches, help us to live out those things that we have learned also and, and to seek to encourage one another and to lift each other up, even as we say, see the day of thy return approaching. We do not know what the future holds, Heavenly Father, and we've received stark reminders already of the frailty of life and the fact that though one is young or old, there's no guarantee for tomorrow. So Heavenly Father, help us to be careful, to number our days as that thy word instructs us, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom, and that we may seek thee and serve thee while we have life and breath. We want to lift up in, in prayer unto thee those that are mourning the loss of loved ones. We want to also remember those that are sick or aged and shut in and not able to gather with us. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the miracle of technology that allows us to share sermons and experiences even though we may be separated by distance. And so we would ask that uh, through the listening to, to sermons and through the reading of thy word, their hearts may also be encouraged and help us also to reach out to those who cannot gather with us and to encourage them as well, whether by phone or with a visit. Heavenly Father, we also want to remember those that are going through great trials of faith and those who are struggling with difficulties in this life, whatever they may be, uh, emotional, financial, spiritual. Dear Lord, thou dost know the need of each one that's gathered here and even those who have chosen to stay away. So Heavenly Father, do thy work in the way that thy spirit can only do and provide for their needs. Be with our brother now also in his need as he would divide the word unto us that he would be given words from above to encourage us, to exhort us, and that in so doing we may be strengthened for whatever may lie ahead. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. passage we've read together is quite relevant to our day and age. We see the context of Peter's admonition. He starts off with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the, that's, that's the, the starting point we see our Lord Jesus Christ coming here to this planet, to this, to become a man, not to indulge, not to um, live it up, but he had a plan that involved sacrifice and involved suffering. And that's very much against the uh, modern way of thinking. We can, the modern man has, can think of no excuse for suffering. In fact, it's so sad that uh, they feel if they're suffering their life, they should end their lives. It's a reason to, to escape even living. It's quite sad in the country and the state we're in. But Jesus felt Suffering was actually a reason to come into being, to enter in to find a purpose in suffering that would save each one of us as a way of expressing love 
to each one of us that we would know that we are precious and valuable to the God of the universe because he was willing to suffer for each one of us. And he did that out of love to demonstrate that, but he's also came as a pattern, as, um, as a living in a way that he would teach and show us because I think you've probably heard it said that I'd, I'd rather someone show me the way than just you know, point who'd go with me, right? Rather than just preach a sermon, right? And, and Jesus did, did that. He, he didn't just come and give us words. He actually lived a sinless life that incorporated suffering as part of the redemptive purpose of why he was here. And now he's saying that we should arm ourselves. It's, it's like, it's, 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 it's a weapon. Arm is usually you put on a weapon. It, because we're fighting a battle. And as part of our battle, we, we need to be mentally prepared to pay the price. Our, uh, our camp theme, this, uh, uh, well, I guess it's been a week now, is about commit your way into the Lord. And commitment means that you are all in and you're willing to pay whatever price that commitment costs. If you're committed to a marriage, then those vows that you take, say for better or worse, for sickness or health, right? They, they say you're willing to pay whatever price it takes to demonstrate your commitment to this other person. Christ was committed to your salvation and was willing to pay the ultimate price and he expects you to be committed to following him and we see that spelled out in Luke chapter 14 and Luke chapter 9 in Matthew 16 you know many places where he says take up your cross and follow me if you're not willing to do that you're not worthy to be my disciple and if we're willing to do that if we're willing to die to the things of this world they're unable to corrupt us it's a weapon a weapon in which satan we just we we um are able to avoid the snare this world is a snare and we read about that that um, if we're willing to suffer in the flesh then sin doesn't have that hold that we we we, we have a history we we've, we've been there done that we know what it's like to to be trying to please the flesh to be uh, undisciplined and to um, live according to the desires of men and not to the will of God. And we've had enough time. We've wasted enough time, uh, and uh, which we can read all about, you know, this require, involves maybe, you know, abuse of alcohol, you know, sexual desires, partyings, you know, um, just kind of indulging yourself and all these things, it had no fruit. It just left people empty, feeling dirty, using and abusing other people or our time, and we feel it's enough. The, this time in our past should suffice us. We, we've seen enough of it. Why would we want to continue that? And so the world thinks we're strange, that we're not indulging ourselves and following the same apparently pain-free, suffering-free path, but you know better. They may even make fun of you. They may even speak evil of you, we read in verse 4. But verse 5 puts it into context. Verse 5 says that all of us will have to give account to God who will judge both the living and the dead, and so given that context that our life isn't forever, and if we're just living it up, we're being very short-sighted. We're not looking at the end. We're not looking at eternity. 
And so verse 7 tells us the end of all things is at hand. It's coming quickly. And so we should be sober, which means we're, we're not intoxicated. We're not under the influence. We're not uh, short-sighted. We're actually being rash. We're, we're, we're thinking and we're seeing and dealing with reality. We're not fooling ourselves. We're not um, being deceived. In order to do that, it's, it's, it, we can see how we're, we're not under the spirit of the age, the spirit of self-indulgent, the, the lust of the flesh, but how does, what's the advice here? How do, we, how do we get into this state of mind where we're really in touch with, with the spiritual realities, with what's really going on and what's really worth spending our time on and what is deceit of our enemy, spiritual enemy, it talks about being vigilant in a specific way. If you're reading with me in verse 7, it says, The end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch, be vigilant, be on guard unto prayer. So prayer is key for us to see things the right way, to see through the deception to not be under the influence and to see things from God's perspective, the eternal perspective, where suffering can have a purpose and we don't get discouraged and bent out of shape, where indulgence is pointless and we don't get ensnared in it, where we can do things like Christ did that matter and make a difference for all eternity and we have meaning in our lives because that's where the current generation is, is stuck in this, this emptiness of meaning, this lack of meaning, where as in avoiding suffering and indulging themselves, their life has no point. There's nothing greater that they're accomplishing and they're willing to, you know, end their lives because they have no point. Here is the opposite and the key we see here is Am I willing to, to come to the Lord and to enter into a communication with God to not only speak to Him, not only share my needs with Him, but to listen, to, to listen as I come into awareness of how God sees my struggles, my life, my world, the people in my life. Of course, that's informed, we know, through the Word of God. That's how I understand more, and my prayers become more in tune with God as I inform my communication with God through listening to His Word as well as listening in prayer. <clears throat> so when we're watching unto prayer, when we are on guard through prayer, it's not it's not just giving God our shopping list, right? We are actually in prayer wrestling and understanding and submitting our will and adapting how we see things to how God does, to changing our priorities. It, it involves a struggle, kind of like, like Jacob uh, before he crossed the brook and he wrestled with the angel. There's a, there is a struggle. There is a dying to self that gets involved and a, a allowing the blessing of God. Being watching on the prayer doesn't sound like something you can do in a one-minute prayer before your meal or a one-minute prayer before you lose consciousness, before you go to bed. It sounds like something that needs to be done more continually because... You can't, you know, if I would have, you know, aerial defense against bombardment and it's only up for one minute a day, it wouldn't be very effective shield against the enemy. And yet this is a key vigilance against the deceit is for me to be in the spirit of prayer. <clears throat> now, that's my horizontal been focused really right now up till now I have to live a life that's pure 
be willing to deny myself. I need to be in tune with God. I need to be sober-minded. I need to be conscious of Christ's pattern. Now, what is the rest of this passage? There's a little bit of a turn here. Uh, read with me here. God doesn't intend you to live this life alone on your knees. And above all things, so time's short. You're only on this planet a short time. This planet's only got a short time before Jesus comes again. You've got to get your priorities straight. Don't get deceived into wasting your time. It includes, you know, I have to, I preach this to myself, and I can see how much time gets sucked by my little device here that, uh, you know, seems to be designed for that purpose or any other way of wasting my time, but rather I need to be in prayer and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. So God intends for us to, to, in this battle plan where we are under attack, that we need to love each other. We need to go through this together. We need to be committed first to God, but as we are committed to God, it will show up in the depth and the fervency and the warmth of my love towards you. And inversely, John says, if you don't love your brother, that vertical connection is missing, right? We can tell you're just playing at being a Christian if you, do, if you don't love your brother. And you're a liar. In fact, he goes on worse. He says, you're a murderer if you hold resentment and you hate your brother. And that's the next part of the verse here is that if we have this level of fervent charity towards each other, we're not going to let Satan play with dividing us. It says that charity shall cover the multitude of sins. So we see one device of the enemy is to get you totally self-absorbed and useless. Another device he has is to get you focused on the, how other people frustrate and offend and hurt you, and you become very reactive, you get bitter. And the solution to that, we read here, is to actually love that person. And as part of your watching onto prayer, you're going to be praying for the other person, especially the Bible, Jesus told us to pray for our enemies, to those that hurt you, that you want good for them and that your love for them covers a multitude of sins, prevents the enemy from getting wedges, his divide and conquer strategy. Because we're able to forgive, we're able to commit to each other, we're able to now see things not only from our victim mentality, but rather from God's benevolent perspective who sees the other person and their needs and how we can gain our brother, Matthew 18, as opposed to get rid of anyone in my life who's causing me pain because once again suffering means i'm committed to loving even the people who hurt me because that's what jesus did i was the person who was hurting jesus i was the person who was rejecting him and he loved me anyways and so i need to love even the people who are rejecting me even the people who are hurting me and my love will overcome, will bridge the gap, will cover the sins. Now, how can you love people if you don't have any contact with them? Does that keep it, you know, abstract and clean? And, uh, but, but the gospel, but Jesus didn't stay in heaven and love us. He came down to earth. And his love had, was shod with the gospel. He, he, he came and, and walked and embraced in the filth and the poverty and the problems of this world and then took on our sin. And so we need 
to actually get involved, not only with a hurting world, but here the focus is use hospitality one to another without grudging. We need to be involved in each other's lives. And to be involved in each other's lives, we actually need to spend time together. We need to open up our schedules. We need to open up our homes. We need to open up, and, and, and that means that we need to maybe displace some of the other things that are occupying all of our time to allow time for those relationships. It might mean that we have to lower our standards to use hospitality biblically as opposed to as the culture would tell you. Today's culture uses the word hospitality in the sense that you have a perfect home, a perfectly manicured, immaculate um, a landscaping, you know, and you bring people in and you impress them with, you know, a very fancy meal with whatever innovations and the latest, I, I couldn't tell you because I'm clearly out of touch, but, you know, you impress people. And it's about show, it's about gaining points and, you know, who can get it. And, and it looks like the Pharisees, they were into that too, right? And, and Jesus told them, you know, don't invite people in that are going to do it back right, because you're keeping up appearances. No, you will invite people who, who even have needs and can invite you back. But here, Jesus is saying, we use hospitality one to another, and it's more beneficial if it's real. Because the goal here is for us to know each other, and if I invite you over and you see, wow, Edmund's house has clean floors. He must live like this all the time. Then I'm not being real with you. That's, okay, maybe I will vacuum when you come. But, um, but you know, maybe I'll have you over even if I don't have time to vacuum. And you'll see that, yeah, they're, they're, you know, this house is lived in. And uh, you're welcome to come be a part of my life. And I don't have to feel insecure about the fact that you're going to see that the sink wasn't washed out or whatever. And, and we can share life together. And we don't have to feel this sense of, you know, things have to be perfect before we can connect. Because that translates then also to, you know, how we interact even here as brothers and sisters. Do we feel like I need a more tray that everything's perfect before I can share something with you? I can only share things that are perfect. And there's lots of things in my life that aren't perfect. And I can't be real with you. So hospitality, inviting people into our lives, into our homes, is important enough for God to put in here in his above all category. You're going to show fervent love. And the concrete way you manifest that fervent love is not in, only in forgiving each other, but in, in bringing people into our lives opening our hearts, becoming vulnerable. And this gives space for this next verse. Let's listen to this next verse. As every man hath received the gift, has everyone received the gift? What gift is it talking about here? Well, other scriptures, Ephesians, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about how through the Holy Spirit, every one of you is individually equipped to build the body of Christ. Ephesians 4 says for the ministry of, of the saints, for the edifying of the saints. Um, you know, the, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about all these different things that you're a member of the body that's unique, different, and complementary just like your finger is different than your ear, is different than your eye, and they're complementary, and each are kind of pretty weak and pathetic on their own, but together, in a coordinated whole, they're able to minister to each other, and I'm able to, you know, my eyes are able to see the food that my hand brings to my mouth, that, you know, they, we need each part 
If I just saw the food and I couldn't get it into my system, that would be torture, right? You know, if I couldn't see it, I couldn't find it. You know, all these things are necessary. And so as every man hath received the gift, and, and, and you'll notice the word every. And the, here we're using the generic man to cover mankind as every brother and sister who has received the laying on of the hands and has received the gift of the Holy Spirit, you have been equipped. Now what should you do with that equipping that the Holy Spirit has given you? Even so, minister the same one to another. Minister, it doesn't mean stand here, okay? Minister, the Greek diakono, is talking about serving. As Christ came to serve us, to wash the dirty feet, and to take on the filth that I have committed. Even so, you and I are to serve one another by love, serve one another, as it says. But you're going to serve God. You're going to serve me differently than I'm going to serve you. Because you're the same gift of the Holy Spirit is manifold. And it talks about here as good stewards, you've been entrusted with something precious. You're a steward of that. You're a manager of it that has to give account to the owner who's entrusted to you. You've been entrusted with the Spirit, with this gift, and it's manifold. It's a grace, again, the idea of gift of God, the Holy Spirit, the gift he's given you is many-faceted. It's individual. It's different. <clears throat> and it's necessary. And that's where I think, you know, this particular layout of this building might get in the way. Because you might think, you know, the people on this side of the pulpit, in this context, are ministering, and they are. But that's not where it ends. They are being used as mouthpieces, and the next thing it says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God, there is a high degree of accountability of being a steward of this responsibility of speaking the word of God because we have to answer to God. And James says, be not many teachers, knowing you will receive the greater condemnation. But that's not the only gift of God. And so he goes on, if any man minister, in contrast to speaking, if any man minister, if any man serve the other who sees a need and meets it, maybe it's a need to fix, you know, the broken door, or maybe it's a need to fix a broken heart, or maybe it's a need to, to hear the broken tears, or maybe it's a need. You are gifted in a way that the Spirit will say, there's a need. But you won't know that need if you're not involved in each other's lives. If you're not vulnerable, if you don't open and say, you know what, I'm hurting. I'm struggling. Or I, I, I need help. I need accountability. I need encouragement. I need exhortation. And if you're not there to provide a safe environment to hear those vulnerable confessions, this stuff doesn't happen. And that's why it's important that we take advantage of the time we have together, not only here and in, in, in our time of worship together, in the time of the speaking of the oracles of God, but also as we share that we are being genuine with each other. And maybe the lunch is as important in some ways as hearing the word of God, not because we receive physical sustenance, but because we can spend the time to hear each other's hearts, to share our needs with each other, 
to be vulnerable, to serve and be served. And if this hour is insufficient, and it is, then maybe we need to continue that practice in our homes. And that's why using hospitality without grudging, oh, it's so difficult. I've got so many other things I need to do. My carpets are getting dirty or whatever. Whatever grudging might look like, we need to get past that and say, you are more important than my carpets. You are more important than the imposition of my time. And that's how love is shown and fervent love even more. And we need to see that you are provided. You, you will have to answer when it says, well, the unconverted world who's self-indulgent, they'll have to answer to the judge who will judge the living and the dead. Well, yet, but you and I will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And the Lord will say, I entrusted the Holy Spirit to you. I gave you the gift of compassion. I gave you the gift of practical helps. I gave you the gift of administration. I gave you the gift of prayer. I gave you the gift of encouragement. Whatever it is, because it's unique, then he will ask you to give account because that's what stewards do. They, they answer to the, to the owner, to the one who's entrusted them with a the gift, what have you done with the gift I gave you? And we will then have to answer. Well, I was kind of busy. I had a deadline coming up. I and whatever, our grudging, whatever it is, we're going to sound pretty lame on that day when we're face to face with the Lord who says, but I, I love that sheep. And he was falling through the cracks. Did you not see that person is hurting? Did you not see that person is slowly drifting away from the fellowship? Did you not see that person losing their fire and zeal for the Lord? Did you not see? Did you not care? Because I did. And I gave you a gift that you could reach out and build those, those um, book, book, the cords of love as we sing about in the Zion's harp. The things that pull each other close because, because love will cover a multitude of sins, the, the, the slights and the, and, and the perceived insults and the, you know, offenses that were received even if they weren't intended and, and all the things that Satan is using to drive wedges. They could be overcome if we communicate, if we open our schedules, our hearts, and our homes to embrace and we need if any man serve minister let him do it as of the ability which God giveth that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ so it's not about showing off this isn't a talent show you don't get some sort of points. This is about serving God, the ability he has given you. And if he's given you more ability, you better use it. Say, oh, I'm keeping ahead of so-and-so. Doesn't cut it. Well, maybe you've been given more than so-and-so, and you'll be answerable for that. And so that's why comparisons just get you confused. And that's why the Bible says, Comparing, who comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. You don't know what, how much God's given the other person. You do know what he's given you. And you need to use it to the ability which God give us, not so that you be glorified, but so that God be glorified, to whom be praise and dominion. This isn't just flowery words. Okay, we're getting poetic here. To whom be praised, so he gets the praise, and he gets the lordship. Then when I, when I just 
pray at the end of the Lord's Prayer, you know, power and glory and dominion. Am I dominated? Am I submissive? Am I under the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Is that the focus? Time is short. The end is coming soon. We're under attack. Am I actively keeping my fellow soldiers healthy and on target and focused? To whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Please choose concluding him. We sing hymn 70, verses 1, 3, and 4. Hymn number 70, the first, third, and fourth verses. I'd like to reread the second verse, but to change the pronouns from first person to, uh, from third person to first person plural. That we no longer should live the rest of our time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. This last hymn that we sung gave us the answer to the solution. And as our brother was speaking, I thought about that living the rest of our time in the flesh to lust. Brother Josh Pitakaru reminded us that we all have a limited time here on this earth. He said, what would, how would we live? How would we act if everyone's expiry date was in neon numbers above their head and you knew when each and every person was to depart this life? Just since the end of camp, there's been a young man, only 13 years old, that was called home by the Lord. Just this morning, we've heard of an older brother who also has been called home. Long life isn't promised to any of us. So what will we do with the rest of our time? Where will our focus be? Allow me a brief diversion. I think you'll find it interesting. Do you know the history of the bikini bathing suit. You might find that a bit of an odd topic. Well, in 1954, the U.S. Armed Forces began a series of tests on Bikini Atoll close to the Marshall Islands in the Pacific. Combined 26 megatons of explosions, thermonuclear explosions, happened there on those islands, testing the power of the atom bomb. Of course, before those tests, I just saw on a billboard that there's a new movie, this is not an endorsement, called Oppenheimer, which is about, of course, the man who was the, the father of the nuclear bomb. Those men, those scientists, didn't know what they were doing, what they were fully unleashing. There were some that thought a thermonuclear explosion of sufficient size would be enough to actually catch the atmosphere on fire and the world may be destroyed in a giant fireball. So what was the response of people knowing that this test date was coming up? Well, they lived in the lusts of their flesh. People actually started having bikini parties named after the atoll. The world's going to end, so why not live it up? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And so, in light of that fact, they threw off social mores, and the bikini bathing suit was actually born right out of that time period. Dare to bear as much as you wish. It was a response of the lust of the human heart in the face of an expiry date. But this hymn that we've just sung together, that was so appropriate, provides the answer. If you look in yourself for a reason for living, 
you'll come to the same conclusion that Paul did. If we don't only have hope in this life, then we're of all men most miserable. Eat, drink, and be merry. Live it up. This is all you've got. But for those that will find meaning in the will of God, there is a richness there. You know, when we only look to ourselves, then whatever we have is going to be the measure maybe of our, of our happiness, whether it's good looks, a slim physique, intelligence. But when our life is actually one of service, where it's devoted to something greater and bigger than ourselves, then we can find meaning not in what, how the hand we've been dealt in this life, but actually in service and in love for the one who created us in the first place and will one day perfect all things. Then this world becomes not just a, uh, a brief carnival with an ending that comes sooner than we'd like, but instead becomes an opportunity for service leading to an eternity of reward with the one who loves us. Where will you find your meaning? Eat, drink, and be merry? Or serve and love as the one who came to show us what that was all about? The one who came not to be served, but to serve. Let's consider that as we leave this morning's service. And I'd like to exhort each and every one of us. It's good to see the church full. But you know what? Around 10.15, it was kind of empty. Come early. You don't know the kind of blessing you can be to other people. We've heard about the importance of connection, finding out about each other's lives. When you come late, you come for yourself. Your time was more important. When you come early, maybe there's an opportunity that the Lord has waiting for you to encourage someone, or maybe you need some encouragement as well. I know I do, and I'm encouraged when I see the house of the Lord full. May the Lord be with us and bless us and dismiss us now with his blessing. Amen.